Uh, that often happens when I stand up in front of God. <laughs> Heavenly sounds. Or when I wear a white shirt, that's a big deal. I thought about a tie and I thought that might bring Jesus back, see a tie, but it uh, didn't happen. Anyway, hey, I'm glad you're all here. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5, New Testament. Matthew 5, if you're a guest with us this morning, just so you know what we're doing, we're, uh, we're in a series called Blessed, which is a study of eight statements Jesus made in his Sermon on the Mount, statements known as the Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitude is a, comes from the Latin meaning uh, happy or blessed, so these are the happy statements or the blessed statements. And with these statements, Jesus called anyone who would follow him to a, um, to a way of life that runs contrary, not just to the norms of, of culture, but the norms of human nature. Let's keep in mind as we get started here who Jesus was speaking to, right? He was speaking to first century Israelites, Jewish men and women who, who by and large uh, had developed an approach to God that, that uh, was mostly about religious piety, showing religious piety, precise rituals, and a legislated morality that stressed external compliance. You know, people felt that as long as they were, um, they would, they were, they were keeping the religious rules as best that they could and, and staying ceremonially active, uh, that uh, God would be pleased with them, hopefully, and uh, their good performance would bring about good results. But Jesus turned the tables on all of that when he started teaching about how God's number one concern isn't about what's happening on the outside of a person, but what's happening on the inside of a person. Because it's really quite easy to look all spiritual and righteous by keeping rules and regulations, but you can't fool God when it comes to the true condition of your heart. And so right from the get-go, Jesus uh, breaks through the religious veneer of his listeners and he addresses what really matters. And he starts off by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Basically, anyone who acknowledges their spiritual bankruptcy before God will find happiness, favor, and eternal life. He continued, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And mourning describes uh, our emotional response to the reality of our sinful condition. Then he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And meekness is defined as a life devoid of arrogance, arrogance before God, arrogance before each other. And then he said, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we talked last week about how, how true happiness is found not by pursuing happiness, but by pursuing something else, pursuing someone else, pursuing God and his righteousness. Now, as we continue uh, processing everything that Jesus said up until this point, it's hard not to notice how there's a logical progression to it all. You know, um, spiritual, uh, spiritual poverty leads to mourning, mourning leads to meekness, meekness stimulates an ever-increasing um, uh, hunger and thirst for, and desire for God. And, and really, in essence, his first four statements here have a, have a vertical orientation to them. In other words, they, they, they emphasize man's relationship to his creator, our relationship to God, this, this, this vertical thing. But then suddenly, uh, in verse 7, while the progression continues, the emphasis shifts. And Jesus' next statement takes on more of a horizontal orientation, emphasizing our relationship uh, you know, to, to, one uh, to one another as human beings. And granted, the shift is subtle, but it's significant because Jesus basically explains to his listeners, he says, hey, when you come into relationship with God, God who is holy and loving, gracious and merciful, it's going to impact your life. Uh, it's going to change you in deep, meaningful ways. 
And ultimately, that inner spiritual transformation will affect your outer life, you know, and especially uh, how you view and respond to those around you. Jesus put it this way. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's my Reiki translation. Uh, when a person embraces and experiences the mercy of God, really experiences it, they will become merciful people. Or another way to say it is that there's no such thing as a calloused Christian. Because for Jesus, that would be a contradiction in terms. Uh, in fact, I think it's safe to say that anyone, anyone who is hard-hearted, indifferent, uh, insensitive, unforgiving, critical, bitter, speaks harshly toward people, and doesn't really give a rip about the pain and suffering of others, uh, we can assume one of two things. That either that person has never been touched by the mercy of God, and so they're really not a Christian, or they have somehow forgotten the mercy of God. They've lost touch with it in their own life. And I'll tell you something, you know, I'm not proud of this, but, but there are times... Uh, in my life when my heart starts really getting hard toward people and, uh, and begins, I begin to respond to family, to friends, to other Christians, really anyone around me for that matter with a, with a harsh attitude and one of indifference. And I react to people, I react to circumstances thinking, hey man, you've got your problems, I got my problems, don't bother me anymore. You ever feel that way? I mean, it's embarrassing for me to admit as a pastor, but uh, to suggest it doesn't happen would be disingenuous. It does. It happens. And what I've discovered is that this arrogant, venal, self-absorbed uh, harshness uh, tends to surface when my devotional life is weak. And when I say devotional life, I'm not, I'm not talking about Bible study per se. I, mean, I study scripture all the time. So trust me when I tell you uh, it's entirely possible to study scripture till you're blue in the face and yet be harsh toward others and indifferent uh, to the people around you. When I say devotional life, what I mean, I mean slowing down and meditating on the very fact that in Jesus, God has been merciful to me. A broken, uh, twisted, sinful, needy individual. And when and if I forget that, arrogance creeps back into my heart and my mind, followed by an increased judgmentalism of others, resulting in harshness and a cold indifference. And that's when, that's when I realized I, I need to back up for Beatitudes and with humility, again, acknowledge my spiritual poverty before God and remember his mercy toward me. See, the statement here, blessed are the merciful, was Jesus' way of saying that those who have truly experienced and been touched by the mercy of God will, with a tenderness of heart, extend mercy to others i.e. The, the, the mercy we demonstrate in and through our life is essentially a byproduct of the mercy we ourselves have received. You follow me on that? And, and here's the thing, you know, look, I'm pretty sure that through, through self-discipline and the strength of, of human will, anyone can manufacture, you know, some acts of mercy every now and then, but Jesus wasn't talking about isolated acts. He's talking about the essence of who we are, you know, that as followers of, uh, of his you know, uh, uh, mercy is at our core. It's the core of our being, you know. It's an, an inherent quality of our lives. I mean, that's what the, the word mercy implies, that we are merciful, see? Which then begs the question, what is mercy anyway? What, what really is it? And, and in order to define it, 
Let's begin by identifying what it is not. For example, mercy is not a compromising of justice. You know, sometimes we think of, uh, of a merciful person as someone who is just, you know, just pretty laid back, easygoing, lacks conviction, willingly ignores transgressions, etc., and just says, hey, you know, whatever, no big deal. So somebody did something wrong, forget about it, let's move on. That's not mercy. Uh, at, least not, at least not Jesus' idea of it. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus not only uses the term to describe his followers, but he specifically uses the term and applies the term to God. He says, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. And so, whatever we say is true of mercy must then be true of God. Does God take a, a laid-back attitude about sin? Does, does he ignore rebellion? Is he uh, apathetic toward what is right and good and just? No. I mean, while it's entirely true that God is merciful, he's also righteous and holy and just. So, mercy cannot... Uh, to be defined as compromising any one of those other, other attributes. Uh, mercy is not the same as grace. You know, we in the church um, tend to use those terms interchangeably, um, and while they're certainly close in, in, in meaning, they do carry different nuances. In Scripture, while grace is especially associated with men and women in their sin, mercy is, is more associated with men and women in their misery. Or to think of it another way, grace deals with sin and guilt. Mercy always deals with the pain, the misery, and the distress that results from sin. Mercy is not just a spiritual gift. Uh, in letters to the early church, the Apostle Paul uh, defines and lists some, uh, some of the unique abilities that God gives to every, every single Christian. Spiritual gifts that are to be used to, to grow, to build, to strengthen the church. And one of, the, the, one of those gifts... Paul says is the gift of mercy, uh, you know, an extraordinary passion and willingness and ability to help those who are hurting. And sometimes we in church circles excuse our lack of mercy, saying, well, it's not my spiritual gift. You know, I, sometimes I say, when God was handing out mercy, I got left in the back of the line, I didn't get any. You know, but that, you know, that doesn't cut it, that doesn't work. It doesn't work because while it's true, some of God's people are particularly gifted in, in the area of mercy. Uh, Jesus clearly says, all of my followers will be inherently merciful. Mercy is, is not shallow sentimentalism. Obviously, it's connected to our, our emotions, but um, you know, when we talk about mercy, we're not talking about getting together, feeling the warm fuzzies, holding hands, swaying, and singing, Jesus loves me this, I know. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, per se, but doing those things doesn't mean we're merciful, because... Mercy isn't shallow sentimentalism. Neither is it simply having pity for someone. You know, it's not just feeling sorry or bad for somebody who's hurting and in need. It's not just that. Back when I was in grad school, um, my wife and I lived on the North Shore of Boston. I don't know if you've ever been up there, it's, it's beautiful. We lived in a coastal town named Beverly Farms. And uh, every 4th of July, uh, the farms would uh, close most of, its, um, most of its streets, especially those leading down to the town beach. They had their own beach. 
beautiful beach. And uh, they'd close it off on July 4th and they'd throw a big party for anyone who wanted to come. They'd have food, bands, uh, games, I mean, and, you know, people went in the ocean. It was just, it was a big bash, lasted all day. And then at night, when it got dark, they would, they would shoot off fireworks off this barge that was just off the coast. And actually on a clear, uh, clear day, you could look down the coast uh, of Massachusetts and you could see fireworks going off all over uh, down toward Boston. It's pretty cool. But uh, it was a big bash. About 10,000 people would show up. And so my, our last year of grad school, we went to the, the party. We were there July 4th. And uh, after the fireworks were, were done, everybody, you know, just, you know, beats it off the beach, heads back to their car. You got to walk about a mile, mile and a half to get to your car. And so the streets were just mobbed with people. It's massive humanity trying to get back to their cars. And so Marge and I are walking along this street. I can just see it as like it was yesterday. We're walking along the street. She's here. I'm here. And all of a sudden, this fight breaks out right up, uh, right up before, we, you know, just where we were walking. And <clears throat> these two guys are fighting. And, and this one guy is just beating the snore out of the other guy. The guy's on the ground. He is letting him have it. And the guy's bloody and everything. We're walking. And, and people are just walking by. And, and Margie's here. I'm here. She's, she, goes, she keeps going. She goes, just don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. Just be cool. Be cool. Don't do anything. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm, all right, I'm all right. All right. And we walk up. And then the guy lets out this blood-curdling scream. And she looks at me. And she goes, go get him. And, and I turned. I said, okay. And boom. And I ran over. And I hit the guy on top of him the one guy, full, full bore, and I drilled him into, into a wooden fence, and I pinned him up against the fence with my forearm in his throat, and I just held him there until the police came. And the police got there, and they wanted to arrest me. And so we had to work that, we kind of had to work that detail out, you know, fortunately, there were some other people around who saw what happened, and they said, no, no, he broke it up, he was trying to help this man who's down here, all bloodied up, so they let me go. Now, I'm not, um, I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus has in mind when he talks about mercy, you know, <laughs> drilling someone into a wooden fence. But uh, here's the point. If, we were, if I were just to walk by that, 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 that man who was hurting and crying and screaming, we were just to walk by and ignore it, like everybody else was doing. I mean, hundreds of people were walking by doing nothing. If I just walked by and said, oh, man, that, man, that poor slob's having a bad night, you know, feel sorry for him, uh, that's pity. That's pity, feeling sorry for someone who's hurting and in need of help. And you know what? Pity is free. Pity's free. Our world is full of people who feel sorry for other people. I can pity you, you can pity me, you can pity them, they can pity you, we can pity the poor, we can pity the sick, we can pity all kinds of people. Pity doesn't cost us anything. But pity plus action is costly. Having compassion for someone in need and attempting to meet that need, man, that's a whole new ballgame. And it can be risky. But that's what mercy is about, you see. And really, the best definition I think I could give you of mercy is pretty simple. Mercy is pity accompanied by action. I mean, understand what Jesus is saying here in, in, in his sermon. He's saying that mercy flows from men and women who are so moved by what God has done for them that they are compelled to express uh, the same kind of mercy to people in their lives. Those who receive mercy will be merciful. Mercy, measured by what you do, not just how you feel. Now, Jesus doesn't elaborate on it really in, here in his Sermon on the Mount, but he did talk about mercy at other times. For example, one day he was coming out of the a synagogue in Capernaum, and there were two blind men on the street, and they were crying out to him. They said, Jesus, help us, Jesus, help us, help us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. 
And I, I think we would all agree, those guys weren't just saying, hey, Jesus, why don't you stop and be nice and pleasant to us? You know, let's sit down and chat for a while. Feel sorry for us. They weren't even asking Jesus to forgive their sin. They had something very specific in mind, right? They were saying, we need help. We have a physical need. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Please have mercy on us. Take action to help us. And Jesus did. He healed them. On another day, when talking with a group of religious experts who had a pretty high opinion of their own righteousness, uh, Jesus told a story about a Jewish man who was traveling from his home in Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he gets mugged. He gets jumped by these robbers. They take his money. They take his clothes. They beat the guy senseless. They leave him half dead in the street. And, uh, and Jesus said, eventually, a priest walks down the road, a religious professional. And when he sees the man lying there, uh, he walks around him. And he may well have felt, uh, he may have, felt, may have well felt badly for the guy. He might have thought to himself, wow, that dude is in bad shape. I, I better pray for him. But he doesn't lift a finger to help. Instead, he actually goes out of his way to avoid the guy. And then Jesus said, uh, a little later on, a Levite came walking by. A Levite was a religious lay leader, you know, a respected member of the local congregation. And he comes by, he sees the man uh, there laying there injured, half dying in the street. He does the same thing. He might have also thought, you know, wow, that poor slob, he should have stayed in bed today. Look at him. He needs help. But I've got a Bible study to get to. I've got to study the Torah. I've got to get to a synagogue service. So he leaves the man lying there as well. He walks around him. And then down the road comes a non-Jewish guy, a Samaritan. The Samaritan Jews didn't get along. A Samaritan is someone that a Jewish person at the time would have referred to as an irreligious dog, a half-breed. They hated each other. But along comes this Samaritan. What does he do? Jesus says, when the Samaritan saw the injured man, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine to soothe him. He put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and, he, and took care of him. And the next day, Jesus said, he, he told the innkeeper, gave the innkeeper enough money uh, to, to cover a two month, about a two-month stay for the guy. And he said, I'll look after him. When I return to check on him, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And with that, Jesus ended the story. But then he, he, he asks his listeners a question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And one of the religious experts uh, spoke up and replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, exactly. Go and do likewise. Now, most of you have heard that parable of the Good Samaritan before, and I don't know exactly what you think about it or what stands out most to you. But for me, what I find fascinating is how Jesus never uses the term mercy in the story. He doesn't use it. He mentions pity. But it's the religious guy, the religious expert, who defines the Samaritan's actions as merciful. Why? Because he knew what mercy meant. He had a good understanding of what mercy, that mercy was pity plus action, so he gives the answer. And he was correct. Jesus affirms his answer because Jesus doesn't say, you're right, go and feel likewise. He said, go and do likewise. Translation, true mercy is measured by what you do, not just how you feel. 
Those who are merciful are men and women who not only feel compassion for those who are in need, but they go out of their way, out of their comfort zones to bandage wounds, to pour oil, uh, to provide rides, to spend time, to offer assistance, to give generously with no expectation of return. In other words, they pay the price for giving a rip. They pay a price for giving a rip. And I, and I realize that, make, that may make some of us uneasy, but... Um, the fact is unavoidable. Mercy as defined by Jesus requires personal sacrifice for the sake, for the benefit of another. Pity is cheap. Mercy is not. It costs something. Mercy, it costs, because meeting needs, whether emotional, physical, financial, or spiritual, demands some level of sacrifice. Time, energy, material resources, finances, it costs us, mercy costs. Have you come across anybody uh, in your life lately who you know is in need? Family, friend, fellow Christian? Or how about this? Let's get a little crazy. Have you been made aware of a neighbor or someone in your community, maybe even a stranger who's in need of help? If so, two questions. Did you feel sorry for them? Did you do anything to help them? Mercy is pity accompanied by action. And, you know, it seems to me, and this is, look, this is just my opinion, but it seems to me the church in America today fulfills the first part of that equation, but tends to fail on the second. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, as Christians, we come together and we're pretty quick to pity the poor, the marginalized, the injured, the sick, the forgotten, the vulnerable. We even pit, we pity the irreligious. We feel, we feel sorry for them, but we're too busy in our Sunday services, midweek classes, Bible studies, religious programming, and not to mention our personal lives to do anything to help. And so like, like religious priests and Levites, we, we rush on by the dead and dying to get to our religious activities. You realize, you realize that by telling the Samaritan story, you realize what Jesus was doing. He was attacking the complacency of comfortable religious people who tend to protect themselves from the needs of others. That's what he was doing. Because he was saying, look, my followers are going to be different. My followers will be merciful. They'll have compassion and they'll take action on it. And that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons why uh, at the end of the month, on the 29th, we're having Everybody Does Sunday. Where instead of rushing by the dead and dying in our world to get into this, in this room, you know, instead, we're going to spend our time out in the community meeting, the various, and meeting in various locations all around our ministry area, meeting the needs of people. We put together a team of individuals who went out and they, they, they went out and identified a big number of needs in our community, family needs, personal needs, organizational needs, village needs, park district needs. They identified these ways that we can help people. Um, we can meet those needs in very practical ways. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're inviting all of you uh, as, as part of the church, to participate with us. Not just to feel sorry for the world. Pity's cheap. Anybody can do it. But to actually do something to help. We want everybody to participate. 
to go out and act in Jesus' name to demonstrate mercy to our world. And it'll make a difference for people. And here's the thing, you know, this whole, <clears throat> this whole mercy deal is pretty serious. You know, well, how serious? Well, there's another instance when Jesus taught people about mercy. And in that particular instance, he said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to uh, settle accounts with his servants. As he began, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, so big bucks, millions of dollars, was brought to him. But since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. And Jesus said, in desperation, the, the servant fell on his knees before the king, pleading, please, please be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything. And Jesus said the king was so moved, so moved that he took pity on the man, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when the guy left, he went out to find one of his fellow servants who owed him a couple hundred bucks, chump chains, chump change, comparatively speaking. And he found a guy, and he growled him, he choked him, he said, you're going to pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient with me and I'll pay you back, but please be patient with me, I'll pay you back. And the guy refused and had the man thrown in prison. And Jesus said, when some of the other servants saw what, what happened, they went back and they told the king. And so the king called for the first servant to be brought back in. And when he brought him in, he said, you wicked person, you, you wicked individual, you wicked twisted servant, I had pity on you and canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And Jesus said in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, a couple things about that parable. First, uh, with it, Jesus again uh, points out how mercy is pity plus action. And in this case, he says it's expressed through acts of generosity and forgiveness. <coughs> Have you ever had a debt canceled? Have you had any, any debts canceled in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, you certainly have. You have one big one canceled, right? The debt of sin. Through Jesus, God has extended grace to you and has been merciful to you. He's forgiven you. In turn, who have you forgiven lately? Whose debt have you canceled? Have you been hurt by someone? Offended by a coworker? Betrayed? Let down? Disappointed? Rejected? Look, we all have. That's not the issue. We, hey, you know, we, we live in a broken world with imperfect people all around us. We're part of the problem. So the issue isn't have we been wounded or, or, or betrayed or disappointed or let down. The issue for us is are we forgiving those who have done so? Are we? Do we forgive as we have been forgiven? It's a key question because Jesus ends the story of the unmerciful servant, which it's become known as down through history, with the servant being what? Being punished. And Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will, Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now look, I don't know all the implications <laughs> of that comment. I don't. But I do know this. Jesus wasn't suggesting that salvation is based on our ability to be, to be merciful, which in this case is expressed by generosity and forgiveness. He's simply pressing the fact that when a person experiences forgiveness in his or her own life, 
they will in turn, with great humility, extend forgiveness to others. And if they can't or they won't, then maybe just maybe they have not experienced it or received it themselves. They know nothing of forgiveness. In the same way, when you've experienced the unconditional love of God, you will love unconditionally. When you're shown patience by God, you will show patience. When you've been freely given much, you will freely give. When you've been comforted, you will seek to comfort. When you experience grace, you'll be quick to extend grace. Get the idea? See how it works? Jesus' point is that when our lives are touched by a merciful God, we become merciful people. Men and women who, when seeing someone in need, will not only have compassion and take pity on them, but take action on their behalf. We will make the sacrifice, we will give, we will serve, and if necessary, forgive. We'll do whatever we can do to relieve their misery. Do we? Will we? And if, why, if not, why not? Are we better than God? <laughs> Hasn't God done the same for us? I mean, keep in mind, for God so loved the world that he what? Got goosebumps? Felt all sentimental and weepy? And said, oh, you poor, wretched, human slobs? No. For God so loved the world, he took action. He gave Jesus who on our behalf was sacrificed as the payment for sin. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God himself is the greatest example of mercy we have, we know. And here's the thing. You know, as a well-known author and theologian, A.W. Tozer once explained it, when Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It couldn't become any greater for it was already infinite. We get the odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No, no. Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us the cross, not the cross that gave us mercy. Now, that's sort of the heady, intellectual, theological bent on things. I'm a more simple guy. And so author Brennan Manning in his book, Wisdom of Tenderness, sum, summarizes it best for me in very practical terms with practical implications. He says, the good news of the gospel of grace cries out, we are all equally privileged but unentitled beggars at the door of God's mercy. And he is right, absolutely right. And if and when we ever experience that mercy in our lives, then as individuals, as a church, we will be the first to offer assistance to anyone who needs it. Friend or foe, stranger or adversary, doesn't matter. We'll be the first to offer forgiveness when others fail us or let us down. The first to love, to show patience, to be ridiculously generous with expect no expectations in return. We'll be the first to sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources for the sake of others. We'll be the first to volunteer to help meet a need around the house, the workplace, the classroom, the neighborhood, the whole community. If we're aware of needs not being met and people are hurting because of it, our first thought will be, I'll do it, I'll help, I'll make a difference, I'll do whatever I can, I will be merciful as my Father in heaven is merciful. And if that's not our attitude, uh, if that's not the way that we're, we're living our lives, 
as followers of Jesus individually and corporately, if that's not who we are, then I tell you what, we have a serious spiritual problem. Because then, as I mentioned earlier, either, either we've never been touched by God, not really, or we haven't been in touch with him lately. And then we've, we've forgotten. But Jesus says, look, you cannot experience divine mercy and remain callously harsh toward people and indifferent toward people in your community, in the world around you. You can't. You won't. We won't. If we're his. Blessed, happy, he said, are the merciful, for they've been touched by God, and they will be shown mercy, and they will in turn show it to others. Let's pray. Our Father, it is easy for us to pity others, to feel sorry for people, for the lost, for the broken, for the forgotten, for the marginalized, for the poor, for the irreligious, it's easy to feel sorry for them. But pity is cheap. The question is, are we merciful? Do we feel sorry for them? Do we have compassion? And then do we take action to help relieve their misery? That's the question. And Lord, we cannot hide the truth from you. I mean, we can look good on the outside to everybody else, but you know our heart. You know what's happening with us. Have we been callous and harsh toward others, indifferent to the needs of others, refusing to forgive, refusing to extend grace? Have we been unmerciful? Give us the courage to be honest about that. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to us the truth and not allow us to kind of play religious games. Speak to us, teach us, reveal what is right and good, and, 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 and Lord, may by the power of your Spirit change us from the inside out. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you all for joining us this morning. I, um, I want to encourage you to stop by our table in the lobby to sign up for Everybody Does Sunday. And you say, well, I've never done anything like that before. Well, good. It's time for us to get out of our comfort zones. I have a friend who leads a national ministry, and he, he mentored me for three years. Uh, and he used to say, the church in America is dying by Bible study. And what he meant by that is we spend so much time in our classes and our, and our service and, our, and our inside the walls of our, our buildings that the, uh, we're, we're passing the dying on our way to religious activities. And it's time for the church to serve people and to love them in Jesus' name and to make a difference. And so we're taking that seriously here. And so sign up for Everybody Does Weekend. It's going to be an exciting experience. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it and thank God for what he did. Uh, also, on the way out, um, we have chocolates for the ladies. Guys, don't touch any, okay? But it's for all of our moms and all the ladies to, to celebrate uh, the day. And, uh, and I hope we've been clear on this whole, whole issue, right? We're, we're not merciful in order to earn God's mercy. That's religion. But we receive and experience God's mercy through faith in Jesus, and that changes us from the inside out, and suddenly we become merciful. You see the difference? Huge difference between religion and Christianity. 
the motivation is completely different. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully you get it. And um, if not, talk to somebody you know from Parkview. They can share more about it. But come back next Sunday. We're going to talk more about what Jesus says next. And uh, I hope you're finding it helpful. I know I'm finding it helpful in my own life. So have a great day. Let me pray for you, and then we're dismissed. And now, Lord, I ask that as we leave the building, as we go to our families, our friends, to activities today, well, wherever life takes us, God, may we be merciful people. For we have been touched by your mercy. May that be true of your church this week. May we point people to Jesus through our love and our lives, our commitment to them, and our, our willingness to help. May your hand of grace now rest on your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.